Dan, we've uh, we hardly ever do a cold open. That's true. This show is not well known for cold opens. Yeah, but here it is, uh, cold open We're because doing I it. have something important that I want to talk to you about. Okay, I'm all ears. All right. So my uh, my other podcast, the one I do with Ken Jennings, uh, that uh, talks about historical ephemera and so forth, uh, just started a Patreon because we went independent of our of our uh, big big shot uh, podcast label. That's right. Middle finger to the man. That's right. As discussed on Roadwork. And uh, so we started a Patreon, but instead of doing the doing the thing that Patreon recommends, uh, which is to have uh, low tier amounts, one dollar amounts, right? Uh, Omnibus just started uh, the lowest tier that we that we mentioned was a five dollar tier. So it might be possible for someone to donate less than that, but that's yeah. We not, don't want to talk about that. It's not Let's acknowledged. Not, that's no, not. We don't talk about time. <laughs> It looked the other way, but, uh, so at the $5 level, cause generally people, you know, they just, they look at it and they, and they, uh, they take your suggestion. They join at the $5 level. Well, so what I noticed was although Omnibus has a lot fewer donors than Roadwork, something in the order of 700 and change rather than Roadworks, 1100 donors, right? Omnibus is making significantly more money on Patreon because of this, uh, because on road work, uh, we have a $1 donation level. Well, we, yes, I'll get rid of that. I should get rid of that. Shouldn't I? Yeah. Yeah. You should get rid of it immediately. So there are a lot of people somewhere on the order of a third of our donors who joined at the $1 level because that was the easiest. It was the lowest level, right? They join a Patreon. They're like, I choose the lowest level. And I mean, some of them are going to say that they can only support it. They can only, I, they can only give a quarter per episode right. to support this independent podcast. Right. 25 cents, a, a, 25 piece of, cents. a piece of gum from a, a gumball machine per episode. Right. That's the, our value to them. So my feeling now, you know, you, you remember when we started the Patreon for road work, I didn't even know about it. Right. First I did it in, in secret. And, uh, and so it was hanging out there and then I saw that people were donating and I was, uh, and I was pleased by it. And, you know, all of this is part of the, like a, uh, 10 year process of me realizing that what we're doing is a, is a job right. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, you know, it's legitimate to at least offer people the opportunity to support it, uh, with their, you know, financially. And John, I, I know that it is your belief that people know what I'm about to say, but I believe a lot of people don't know it. And that is, I, and I want to say very clearly, this is our job. This is mm-hmm. our full-time job. This mm-hmm. is how we make a living. This show and the couple others that we do, this is what we do for a living. And it, uh, there are so many podcasts out there that are hobbies for people uh, that are side things that are way to make a few extra bucks. For us, this is our primary or maybe even sole income. And I think that's worth mentioning and that, that those donations that people make really make a huge difference in if we can afford to do stuff or not. Right. Well, the, the whole reason <clears throat> that, uh, that I'm even uh, attempting this cold open is that I'm extremely proud of the, uh, the bonus content that we give subscribers. I think it is just really neat. It's almost almost a completely separate episode every week. Right. Um, 
we talk about deep stuff, heavy stuff. And uh, it's only available to to subscribers. And, I, you know, I wish in a way that it was it was the thing that people listen to the most because it's, um, you know, we're prompted by fan mail, but we're not, it's not, we're not answering fan mail. Like what do I do about my mom? You know? And then we give her a, a one sentence answer. Like we really dive deep dive into, into deep, deep stuff. Yeah. I want to share it with people. Uh, so anyway, I, I, what I'm proposing is that, um, that the lowest level of donation for road work be, Five dollars going right. forward. Now right. there are some people grandfathered in at the one dollar level, and I want to encourage them to up their donation to five. Uh, but you were saying so all of uh, all, everyone who donates gets access to the bonus content, which just sounds dumb to say bonus content. It's like a whole. It's, it's like a, a whole, whole show. Thing. It's a it's show. Not, it's a separate it's not show. Bonus content. It's secret, uh, secret content. Secret content. Personal, private content. Well, and here's why it's behind a paywall, because we talk about stuff that if it were out just in the regular world, it would, I don't know, the regular world just doesn't want to, the regular, what I don't want is people flaming me who don't actually listen to the show. People who are like, oh, you should hear this outrageous thing. And then they post it. And then (laughs) other people who don't listen to the show are able to hear it. Right. And then they've got freaking stupid internet opinion about it. Right, right, right. So we put it behind the paywall just to keep it uh, in the family. So I want to also encourage the people who like got in on the $1 level to stop being so slightly like base, stop being so basic. (laughs) In other words, you're saying to them, you're, you're better than that. Yeah. Right. Give, (laughs) uh, give us a dollar and a quarter for every episode instead of a quarter. Right. I feel like even the people who are like, my budget is so tight. I can't afford four more dollars a month. I believe you, I guess some, I mean, I believe that there are some people who truly are living that close to the bone, but not everybody who chose the dollar level is that most of the, those, I'm going to say most dollar level people are like meh. I, I choose the lowest level of everything. You know, I, this makes me, reminds me back when I first started five by five in 2000, late 2008, early 2009, uh, there was no Patreon or Kickstarter or anything like that, but I knew that I needed to see if I could raise enough money to really make this thing go. I was going to basically leave a full-time job and I was going to start this new thing and take this huge risk. And no one was podcasting full-time in 2008. Like no one really was doing that. I mean, there were a few people, but it wasn't like a a thing people did. And uh, what I did is I'd had some luck in the past selling t-shirts. So I started doing t-shirts, but I wasn't selling t-shirts. I was essentially selling memberships. I was selling support. And basically if you wanted to support this thing that I was doing, you could support it. And if you support it at a certain level, you got a t-shirt. And, right. and so I wasn't really selling t-shirts. They were a free gift that you would get at a certain, and a friend of mine who was in marketing, she gave me some advice and she said, you know, I see that your, your donations are like $5 and $20. And she's like, you need a $50 and you need a $150 level. Oh, whoa. And mm-hmm. I said, why would I do a $150 level? No one's going to do that. She's like, sure they will. I said, no, they won't. She said, yes, they will. And also if you don't have it, then they'll never do it. 
Right. And uh, and so I I offered 150 level and I got a I got a bunch of people supporting at the $150 level that that was like shocking to me the amount of faith that they were like yeah Dan we want to see if you can do this we'll help you and I was so grateful but I was also shocked I'm like wow she was totally right so that's right. kind of a little bit different from what you're suggesting but at the same point if the entry if the minimum entry is $5 then we're, we'll people will give us $5 yes they will if the yes. minimum well, entry is you, a dollar, they're just going to do a dollar, like you just, just said. They're just going to give a dollar. That's yeah. right. If the minimum entry was 25 cents, there would be the same 300 people that are like, 25 <laughs> that's cents? Right. Okay. That's right. <laughs> okay. I don't even get the Happy Meal. I just get the basic plain cheeseburger. Uh, but you were saying something. So we get a lot of comments from people. And I know this is a long cold open, but you know what? Buckle up. Because <laughs> other, people, other people do this kind of shilling all the time, don't yeah, they? Yeah, sure they do. That's all they Any, do. Yeah. Well, so you, but you were saying something about a different level of, because people are all the time saying, why can't I pay a little extra for a, uh, ad free fee? Yes. Yes. But and you've I'm, over, over the years, you've been pretty resistant to that because it, uh, because advertisers don't like us splitting off a certain small corner of our listeners. Right. And the, and, and part of that, so first of all, I've, I've overcome that hurdle, my own mental hurdle. I've overcome that. I'm fine doing that now. And, you know, because, and part of the reason is the, we only about one twentieth of our listenership actually supports us at any level, a dollar or otherwise. It's only about one twentieth of our listeners. So if we have to knock off one twentieth of our download numbers, when we represent that to um, you, you know, to our advertisers, then that's fine. That's not an, it's not enough to really make a difference in how much we sell the show for or whether or not we get sponsors. Not I'm fine deal. with it. Now, if, if all of a sudden 50% of our listeners donated $5, well, John, we wouldn't need sponsors at all. Right, so if we ever get to the point where the number of subscribers listening to the ad free show is significant enough that it would actually affect our download numbers and how we report them to our sponsors. I mean, we'll report them accurately, but I'm saying if it, if it only knocks it down by hundreds of downloads, it's not a big deal. Sure. Uh, but if we're at that point where that many people are supporting us, then we won't need sponsors ever again. We'll be making way more and, right. and it'll, we'll laugh at our, our sponsor. We'll laugh in the faces of the sponsors, John. It will be I, a wonderful I know you want time. To. I know you want to laugh in the faces. Of I our want sponsors. to. Now, uh, but the thing is, I've been saying, uh, I've been saying that the people donating on the $1 level are basic, but the people that don't donate at all are the basic ones. The people at the $1 level at least are like, I agree in principle with the supporting of shows and, and thus and such. Here's what I would say, John, here's what I'd say. Uh, Are you, are you proud of the donation amount that you're making? Would you, would you, if you, and if you're, if the answer is you're proud of how much you're donating, and it happens to be a dollar, then, then for you, I guess a dollar is, is what's all right. But if you're, if you're feeling shame for only donating a dollar, then maybe uh, increase it. Is, is that what you're saying? Is that kind of what you're well, saying? Well, I mean, yeah, we're, we're basically trying to create an atmosphere of shame, um, <laughs> in order to encourage people to, uh, to make that change. But of course, <laughs> we, of course we appreciate all of our listeners, even the ones who aren't donating, donating, because I believe that this is, this can be 
a challenging show. Omnibus and is really getting with a third less than us. They're making you guys are making more. Yeah, we're we're, we're making you know with the third fewer donors, we're making a third more money, and it's just and I don't think it's because Omnibus listeners are more affluent or anything like that. It's just that it's just this simple because here's the thing. Patreon believes like all cults. Patreon believes that they have (laughs) an understanding of, of, or that that no, no, not an understanding. Patreon believes that they created a universe Uh, and that they know how that universe works. And most of the people that we heard from when we talked about this, uh, before most of them said, we don't donate because we care about having secret bonus content. We'd rather, uh, the bonus content be, uh, be free. Uh, they donate because they want to support the show. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so Patreon's out there with this, like, Oh, you need a dollar level and all that. And you need to give reward tiers and all this stuff that they think is, it's just like the original Twitter founders who thought that Twitter was supposed to be one thing. And then people were like, no, it's this other thing. And like a Schlemiel, I just went along with it and had a $1. If I had never done the $1, we'd be, you know, we'd be in a better situation, wouldn't we? Well, yeah, but you know, it's because you were, you were starting a thing and, and, uh, and you, you didn't consult me, which is great. If you hadn't done that, I don't think I would have ever really understood. And now, uh, and now a significant, as of this omnibus Patreon, I mean, you know, it represents real money to me, and yeah. that is real money that I, without uh, without making too much of a point of it, uh, it's money that I need. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, I think we've belabored this enough. So, what are you saying vis-a-vis the ad-free? Uh, uh, p- uh, the potential for an ad-free show. Well, effective immediately, there's no more one dollar tier okay. to 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 use. Right. Uh, okay. There's starting suggested starting amount is now five dollars. Right. That um, is a suggested amount. Yes, but but uh, but you it could is do the more. Str- it's the strongly suggested amount. Don't tell them what they can do. They could do more, John. Yeah, that's right. You could give a ten dollar level if if we have sufficient sufficiently created an environment where you feel shamed right right and and uh and then the ad free or not even shamed if we have created a world in which you understand more fully how important your contribution is and uh and are are saying to yourself wow you know what i love this show so much right it's Uh, not it's not out of shame it's out of love out of love that's what we really are trying to create and, and, and I know there, there are people that are like, if you love us, you'll shut up and, and play the intro music and get to the show. Right. And we're almost right. there, I feel like. Okay, good. Uh, but people who donate $5 or more will get an ad-free version of the show, as Whoa. well as the personal private content. Whoa. And That's because, a big step for you. Yes. And because new, uh, new donations should be coming in at the $5 level, they will, they will always get all of that. But we're going to grandfather in the, the, the $1 donors to Let's let them that. continue to get the personal private bonus content. They won't hear the ad-free version, but they will get the bonus content uh, for ne- those people. We're not going to abandon those people. Sure. We're going to let them come along for the ride, but hopefully they'll in, increase their 
uh, spend. Yeah. Okay. Great. Does that does that work for you? <clears throat> yeah, I think okay. so. I think so. The uh, the bonus content this week is particularly interesting because um, in response to a writer, mm-hmm. uh, I just was feeling you know a lot a lot of people are like play some new music for us and I'm like bah. Uh, but somehow this writer uh, from the United Kingdom uh, just struck a chord with me, and I play some songs that I've recorded on my phone. I play them by holding my phone up to my microphone, but still, I think the songs are audible, and you can judge for yourself. I loved I loved hearing them. I I love hearing your secret unreleased music of any kind and you played was it two or three that you played this week three three songs i think yeah three three songs not secret you know, songs not in, their, not in their entirety but anyway those are those are to uh to, to entice you to come listen to the bonus episode and uh and to join roadwork at a minimum of the five dollar donation level because i would like to i would like to un uh, dethrone Dis disthrone <laughs> omnibus as the as the Patreon show, which is earning. I want I want to start a competition here within this show, which is much small. It has a much smaller listenership than than uh, omnibus, but a larger pool of donors. Right. I would like to to uh, dethrone omnibus and and have roadwork. Uh, set this rare, this rare tone of a small boutique show that is, um, that, that has this dedicated subscriber base. Right. And one thing I want to point out, but I don't think this is what you're saying and maybe Boy, we should clarify. cold open, right? Am I right? That. This yeah. is a hell of a cold open. <laughs> like 18 minutes in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if, if someone were to withdraw their donation from Omnibus, Oh, no, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. Oh, let me just clarify though. If someone were to withdraw their $5 donation from Omnibus and redirect that same $5 donation to us, you personally would still make the same amount of money. I would just make more and you'd be taking it out of Ken's pocket. And what I'm saying is you're not suggesting doing that. You're saying support, continue to support that other show. If you're doing it, just give us more. I recognize that there are people listening to the show who donate to a lot of Patreons. They listen to a lot of podcasts, uh, but they, you know, they also can afford to, they are, um, they also subscribe to all of the Netflixes. Right. Hulu, HBO. Yeah. They subscribe, you know, they have, they're paying, they have eels all over their body. (laughs) They're paying for subscriptions to things that are uh, storing their information on the uh, on the cloud. Uh, they probably have a subscription to the company that is uh, that uh, that their thermostat is connected to. I yeah. don't even know all the subscriptions you could have. So they, uh, you know, for them it is less of a burden to donate to a uh, to a Patreon. And in that case, you know, by all means. Uh, open your hearts, but don't, you know, I don't want to take any money away from Ken, uh, because, you know, part of what Omnibus has been through is basically doing two years of that show for, for nothing for how stuff works and iHeartMedia basically being paid nothing because of some contractual horseshit. And because right. those are 
corporate uh, media empires that don't care about content. Right, so that's what I'm saying. Don't don't take money away from Ken. No, because Ken is like, oh my God, this show is worth money, which you've been telling me this whole time, but I didn't believe in my heart. And I want to continue. I want Ken to continue to feel that way because I like doing that show too. Uh, although it's different. It's, it is much less personal than this show. So with that, with that 20 minute, uh, harangue, mm-hmm. let's, uh, let's commence the latest episode of Roadwork, which I don't even remember what it was about. <laughs> Hello. Oh, hi, John. Hi, Dan. How did your move go? I've been seeing lots of pictures of the move, and it uh, seems like it, it happened, huh? Well, it's um, it's complicated. Yeah? Well, as you can imagine, it's complicated. Because, uh, but it's just because you've got a lot of stuff. Well, but also... Because I'm, uh, boy, we're jumping right in here. Um, I got a lot of stuff. I'm not a good packer or a project manager. Uh-huh. And uh, I moved, and then I had to hire another couple of guys from TaskRabbit to come and help me move again. And they moved an entire other load. And then I hi- had to hire um, the guy that normally does the lawn maintenance around for our family here at various locations. He came and he and his crew also took a load mm. of stuff. And then I spent, and it was a hundred degrees that day and I spent it in the storage space, just trying to Tetris everything in there. Ugh. And I got, and then I was there at the house, you know, I wanted to be done. I wanted to be out by midnight on the day that I, you know, that the transfer was happening and, mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to leave them a clean house. I had a, a little team of cleaners come and scour the place, but I just I wanted it to be I wanted it to be perfect. You know, I was leaving them some furniture and various things, and and uh, I wanted it I wanted them to walk into their house and have no burned out light bulbs and no you know no uh, thing of baking soda in the back of the fridge and right. Um, you know, and I was, I had a ton of stuff in the basement. So then I ended up packing up another load. You know, you think you look at the place and you're like, it's empty. And then somehow you get 26 additional moving boxes worth of stuff out Mm. of just like, well, the stuff under the sink and, oh, that's right. All the, these things and those things and the little, the pictures on the walls and, and, um, and on, I have this, you know, had this barn that has the collected crap of a hundred years. I mean, there's crap in there from the original owners. And when everybody moves, they're just like, well, just put, put that stuff in the barn. So (laughs) I've got all this, I've got this crazy barn that I was trying to also get perfect. And anyway, midnight came and I, I got out of the house, you know, the house was, the house was spotless. It was, it was perfectly done up. And, uh, but I was still in the, 
I was still in the basement and then in the barn trying to get stuff done. And, and, uh, so I got out, they, they moved in yesterday or started to, I had to go back yesterday afternoon and get another load of stuff out of the barn. Mm -hmm. And I just did not have that extra energy to unload that truck. At, At one point I had Ken Jennings loading boxes for me. You know, it was just like the guy has people for that. Doesn't he? He's not a, Get your well, hands dirty, kind of guy. He's sure, a, he is. He's no, a ma- he make a to. make a phone call, and and a, a crew shows up while he no. watches from the top of his ivory tower. He likes to do stuff with his hands. You know, he's a handy guy. Like what? Paint paint minifigs or something? Yeah, minifigs. He likes that. He likes uh-huh. that. But so now I have at least one more car, or you know, uh, truckload, su- suburban load. Yeah. Um, to get out of the van, including you know, it's tiring. Though of, it's tiring, physically so tiring. tiring. So tiring. It was so. It was just. It was beating me up. It was emotionally tiring too. But you know, you stand there and you look around, and it's like every one of these boxes. Uh, it's all this stuff to think about. It's all this. Where, what is it? Where is it? What's you know? How do I fill it? But then I also have to schlep it. I have to carry it and putting it in a van is hard and taking mm-hmm. it out and getting a cart and rolling it up to the elevator and taking it up to your third story storage space and trying to pack it in there. I mean, over and over I've been doing it for weeks now and I, I'm done. You know, if I walked away from, I mean, all that's in the barn now is the stuff that, actually belongs in the truck like the third row of seats and the (laughs) heavy duty air radiator and you know a few things like that i got everything um yesterday i was in the barn just you know loading stuff in and a and a chicken walked by Mm. and you know, there have been a lot of rabbits in my yard over the years and obviously crows and raccoons and various cats and dogs, but I had never in 11 years seen a chicken in the yard. And you know, the, the neighbors have a rooster that drives me crazy and there are chickens over there that wander around. And so I'm working in the barn and then all of a sudden I look out the back door and here's this chicken. It's giant chicken, giant. I'm like, what kind of weird omen is this? I'm putting the very last things that I own into a bag and there's a chicken in in the yard. There's there's never been a, and so the chicken, so I'm, so I go out and I'm trying to interact with the chicken and the chicken's not afraid. Chicken doesn't want me to grab it, but the chicken's not. It didn't mind you being there. Oh, it didn't want me there. It wanted to get away from me, but it didn't, it wasn't like freaking out either i see i see it was very strategically like it would bob its head this way i mean it's a dumb thing so if i like if i bobbed my head it would go the other direction you know it never like figured it out but in fact it did figure it out got around me and ran through the barn in the back door through the barn and out the front door (laughs) now was it was this chicken already there and something you knew about or did you discover that it was there during the process what do you mean like was it your chicken all along and you didn't know it or what no 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 that's what i'm that's what i'm wondering like 
at any point in the last 11 years of living in this house, um, well, now wait a minute, 12 years. Whoa. Whoa. Wait a minute. I bought it in the, I bought it in the autumn of 2007 and it's the autumn of 2019, 12 years. Um, at any point in the, in the, in the past 12 years, if a chicken, if I'd seen a chicken in my yard and especially in my backyard yeah, and especially a chicken that ran through the barn, that would have been a very noteworthy mm. experience. I would have, I would have tried to puzzle out its meaning. I would have said, what's going on in this neighborhood? I would have started being vigilant about chickens. <laughs> I would have. And why do you I, think it showed up on your last moments there? Oh, that's what I want to know. It's weird. I mean, it's, it's not like a freaking chicken is, I mean, I don't know that much about how chickens appear in the, like the global uh, cosmology. Is this chicken a harbinger of something? Is it a, now, wait, is was it, it, was it a, a was it a hen e, or, or a rooster? It was a hen, Okay, but like, but a, but a big hen, it was it was big. I mean, it wasn't, it's not like it was three feet tall, but it was, a, it was big. It <laughs> like was that, as big as a goose. They found a human sized penguin or something recently. No. Like a prehistoric penguin. Yeah. Oh, a prehistoric penguin. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, human sized and it was found in New Zealand. I mean, I'm enough of a cryptozoologist that if there was a living human sized penguin on this planet, I would have heard about it. Okay. So here's the article in the guardian. It says a new species said to have been four times heavier than the emperor penguin. And I'm going to send you a photo of this rendering, this computer rendering of what they believe it looked like. I'm going to send it to your phone in messages. So there it comes. And, and uh, this is kind of what I've been imagining as you've been describing the large chicken. But it says okay. that at 1.6 meters and 80 kilograms, the new species cross valia Waparensis was four times as heavy and 40 centimeters taller than the emperor penguin, which is the largest living penguin. That's a very big penguin that you just sent me. Yes. It's not taller than a human, but it would, but I would not want to fight it. No. It's not the kind of penguin that you're like, let me at him. I'm going to beat the shit out of that penguin. Right. Sorry, continue. Anyway. Um, so I, I moved. Um, I moved. I continued moving with the, even with the, the weird thread of this chicken hanging over me. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, and then, I mean, I, I went from room to room. I, I, um, I've had some memories, mm-hmm. you know, 12 years is the longest I ever lived anywhere. That's a long time. When I was growing up, I we never lived in the same house for more than five years. Mm. And, um, you know, a lot of the memories that, that, that really resonated most strongly with me were of, like my little girl when she was a baby. I mean, there a lot, a lot went down in that house. Sure. 
And, uh, but you know, I bought it in my 30s. Now I'm in my 50s. It was, uh, it was emotional. And of course it should, it should be, it should have been emotional. Yeah. But, uh, but it's, it's unreal also, you know, I'm in, I'm in touch with the, with the, uh, the new owners and, um, and that feels a little bit dangerous because I feel like I'm in this mode where where I'm likely to be the guy that's like, oh, hey, I just stopped by because I <laughs> forgot a pair of pliers that I left under the. And that's not that's not what happens when you no, no, no. Uh, when you sell your house. No, like, it's you cut and run. Yeah, at a certain point, they don't want to hear from you again, and, no. or you know, if they if they do hear from you, they want it to be that they uh, invited you over, but not that you just show up like, <laughs> oh, I forgot to tell you guys like the. <laughs> There's a pack of cigarettes on top of the refrigerator. Um, so I can't, I can't be that person. I've already kind of, I'm, I'm already doing a thing that if the people that had sold me the house had done it, I would have been super irritated. Oh yeah. Which is like, there are two Vespas there that I haven't figured out where to put them. And, um, I honestly, as I talk to you today, still don't know what to do. Uh, I've called various Vespa repair people who are notoriously, um, like not, it's weird. The people that work on Vespas, Vespa mechanics as a group, and you know me, Dan, I hate to generalize, right? but as a group, they are. Um, we don't really say on the spectrum anymore as a way of describing people who are, uh, who are challenging to talk to. Or who like don't make eye contact or understand human emotion in the same way. But I know a lot of people like we don't that, really, but you yeah, can't say, really say spectrum, that. right? Yeah. yeah. But they are like universally difficult to talk to on the phone hard to get to agree to things. They all, they all kind of act like they are um, like surgeons who are highly in demand and, and um, you know, they would tell you to talk to their secretary, but none of them have a secretary. They kind of talk, they, they kind of say things to you as though they're telling you to go talk to their secretary, but there's no secretary. Like I called a guy yesterday <laughs> who owns, he owns a business. He owns a, like a, a brick and mortar business. And here's how he answers the phone. Hello. That's the way you might answer your home phone. And I said, is this, you know, Joe's scooter repair? And he was like, yeah. I said, are, are, are you open? Yeah. Wow. Um, well, I've got some scooters that I need repaired. He was like, uh-huh. It's just like, wow. Okay. Well, let's, how about if I just dive right in? And then as I started, as I started talking about what was going on, 
then he was like, oh, yeah, that's because the 74s had a different, you know, they actually had, those were added for safety reasons, but, you know, it's, it's not actually connected to the, so it's running off the stator. It's not like, it's not connected to the ignition. And, you know, he's like, uh, once I gave him something that he knew about that was, that was interesting to him, like he became talkative. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then at the end of the conversation, he was like, well, the soonest I can fit you in is probably mid-September. I was like, okay. Well, I mean, I've got two scooters. I need to I need to put them someplace. Could I just put them there in, in your parking lot or something until you get to them? Oh, no, 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 dude. No, sorry. <laughs> parking lot, you know. Yeah. Pool's closed. Parking lot's full. So anyway, I have to deal with that. And... <laughs> You know, I'm, I am such a, uh, like, well, no point in steering now, eh? That having encountered like two or three different, like one guy I've talked to, I've talked to a few different scooter people and they're like, oh, you need to talk to fat Bob. You know, he's the one that's, <laughs> and so I've been texting fat Bob and, uh, fat Bob's not, not texting me back. And I've texted mm. him a couple of times. I've been like. Hey, Fat Bob, just checking in with you again um, about the scooters that it's apparently your job that you that you chose to do to fix people's <laughs> scooters. So I'm one of those on the customer end of things. A guy that's kind of in desperate straits. He's got two scooters, neither one of them currently running. I will pay you money to do your chosen trade nothing nothing back oh and and if you call him his message his phone message is uh yes fat bob uh uh you can leave a message or you know for faster service just text me (laughs) so so he's um he's self-referentially calling himself fat bob I mean, that's a, that's a thing he's actively endorsing. The, um, the, the, the thing about a uh, scooter culture, do you, how much do you know about scooter culture, Dan? Um, a little bit more than I know about motorcycle culture, which is nothing. Scooter culture is very, um, you know, it's very punk rock. Mm-hmm. Is it? And yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And, um, because you know, in the UK, right. The whole scooters, the mods versus the rockers, blah, 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 blah. That's a very UK thing here in the, um, are in scooters the considered States. cool, John? Well, now you've opened a big can of worms, Dan, because scooters are considered cool by people who are into scooters. My experience with a scooter, if I can just interject this, just to paint the picture for you, I was maybe four, fifteen, just had freshly fifteen years old, and my friend Darren McCormick from fresh from Ireland had been here a very short period of time in the States and worked at Publix with me. We were both bag boys and he was able to get a scooter 
I don't remember the make. I want to, it feels like it was a Honda. It was not something cool. It was not, we didn't, I don't remember if the United States or certainly Florida had the Vespas at all back then. It was probably a Honda Elite. That sounds right to me. I don't yeah, know. Honda, well, go ahead, finish your story, and then I'll, I'll give you the breakdown. I'm 99% sure. Well, yes, I'm looking at a picture of it, the Honda Elite. That is it. And, uh, and he was breaking it in, and he himself was just about to turn or had just turned 15. And he was breaking it in in his apartment complex by just driving it around the apartment complex, which was like a big loop around all the apartment buildings. And, and apparently he told me you had to put, I don't know, maybe it was a hundred miles on it or 50 miles or something before you could take it up to full speed, take it out on the road and everything else. Right. Got to break it in. Yeah. Yeah. To break it in, break the engine in or something. So I, he, he offered to let me help do that. So I was also riding it around his, you know, looping around his uh, little apartment complex. And I rode my bike, BMX bike back home. Maybe by now it was a, it was a 10 speed I probably had. And I said to my mom, I'm getting one of these things. And she mm -hmm. said, no, you're not. And it was very affordable. I mean, these things were hundreds of dollars and I had a job and I'd had a job for a long time and I was like fully prepared to buy one of these things. Mm -hmm. I had the money. I could go and do it. I had my restricted driver's license, but my mom said no. Huh. And I said, uh, why? She said, they're too dangerous Flat out, no. My mom had never, she had always, I was very responsible growing up. She had always really pretty much let me do anything that I, that I wanted to do because I didn't really want to do anything that was out, out there. And she was saying no. And it was like the first time that she had just flat out said like, absolutely no, you're not doing that. Hmm. And I remember we had a, like one of, in my life, one of the only shouting fights that we ever had around this. I was very angry about it. She kept saying, no, 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 it's too dangerous. It's too dangerous. It's too dangerous. And I said, well, Dara McCormick has one. Uh -huh. And, uh, and she said, well, it doesn't matter what he has. You know, and I said, okay, fine. I was very upset about it. And two weeks later, Dara McCormick got into a car accident and oh, broke no. his pelvis in two places and oh. had to be in the hospital for a long time and told me a very detailed story of how he wasn't able to urinate. Uh, because, uh, I guess something to do with the trauma of the injury and they were going to have to, um, give him a catheter mm. and that as an attempt to make him pee before that, he was standing in the bathroom trying to pee while the nurse splashed cold water on his penis. Hmm. And, uh, he was eventually able to pee without the catheter. And that's the end of my story. Wow. That I can see where that made a made a major impact on so you. So that is now the sum total of knowledge that I have about scooters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This episode of Roadwork is brought to you by Squarespace. There are so many things you can do with Squarespace, and I'd like to tell you about a few of them. You can turn your cool idea into a new website. You can promote your physical or online business do not be fooled into thinking this is just for online stuff it's a website which means it's online but you can promote your own physical thing i know so many people that have great businesses and think that they can't have a great website because quote 
That's just not what we do. Perfect example of this. I'm going to pick on some local businesses here. We've got an amazing food truck culture that John and I have talked about so many times right here in Austin. And so many times I'll go to their website and it will be horrible. It will be out of date. They'll have things listed on the, on the menu that they haven't had for months or even years. Why? Because it's a pain in the neck to update your website. Unless you're using Squarespace, they make it so easy. Literally, anybody can do it. You don't have to know any HTML. You don't have to know any CSS. You don't have to even hire a special person to do it. You could do it yourself. Your mom could do it. Keep your, uh, keep your menus updated. But that's the whole point. Squarespace makes it so easy to do pretty much anything. People use it for their blogs. Bands use it to upload their music. I know tons of people. I used it to sell so many different things, t-shirts and other things. It, it's, it's so easy to use. It's so simple. The powerful built-in e-commerce. It, that's the thing about Squarespace. I get excited about it because... There's so much you can do and they make it so easy. I was just telling you about the e-commerce stuff that they have. They've got a new way that you can buy domains. They have over 200 extensions now built in. They've got analytics. They've got built-in SEO. They've got everything is secure. I was just reading somebody tweeting last night. They were tweeting about how much of a pain it is for them to have to constantly worry about updating servers and patching software. That's history. You don't have to do that with Squarespace. They take care of everything and they want you, they're encouraging you to make it stand out, your business, your project, your idea with a beautiful website. So here's what you must do. Go to squarespace.com slash roadwork. You'll get a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, you'll use offer code roadwork, one word, and you will save 10% off your first purchase of a website or one of those domains I mentioned. So we greatly appreciate the support of Squarespace, that URL one more time, squarespace.com slash roadwork. And the promo code to use is roadwork to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Thanks very much, Squarespace. We appreciate you. And uh, everybody go check them out. Thanks. I can see where you would, uh, where you would maybe be a little cautious around them. Yeah. But you may have some. You may have uh, established some misconceptions about okay. scooters. Um, you know my personal scooter journey. This Honda Elite. Um, that 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 you're talking about, it came out in 1984. Sounds about right. Yep. Uh, I would have been a sophomore in high school. Mm-hmm. And the Vespa, the Italian-made scooter that was, you know, that's the kind that you see in all the old movies. Right. They'd stopped importing Vespas to America in about 1980. There was a, it was like, um, you know, the story of the, the American convertible, right? We had, there were car manufacturers made convertibles up until the early seventies, early to mid seventies. And then safety restrictions imposed by Congress <laughs> made yeah. it, um, made it like unworkable to have convertibles. And so there are no American made convertibles through the whole period of the late seventies, early eighties. And I think the first, car to be a, the first new American convertible 
was uh, sometime in the same period, the mid eighties. And I think, I don't remember whether it was a Chrysler K car or there was some car that came out that was maybe not, not like the sportiest car you ever saw, mm-hmm. but after a whole generation of like Mustangs and Camaros and so forth came out that, that weren't Camaros or weren't, um, convertibles you could get you could get t-tops or whatever right but during that whole period if you wanted a convertible you had to buy a european car the only cars that were still being made were like fiats and those little mercedes benzes i mean they were still making convertibles but if you wanted an american convertible you were sol so this period right from 1980 to 1984 it was a weird time no convertibles, no scooters anymore. But by 1984, a whole bunch of different players had gotten into the act. And now there were American convertibles again. And Honda released this scooter. And it was it was so cool. The Honda, and this is this sounds like nutty, but Honda contracted with Lou Reed <laughs> to be the spokesperson for the Honda Elite. 150 scooter and if you if you google it you will see lou reed lou reed like sitting on a scooter riding around and it's honda scooter i'm looking oh yeah yeah and he was in a commercial okay that's who that was i saw it when i was looking this thing up i saw this picture and so i'll i'm sure you have this already in your mind but i'm gonna send this one to you so we can enjoy it together uh his stance, this is, has a very top gun mm-hmm. look to me, this picture. And I'm, I'm curious to know if this is, mm-hmm. was meant to be taken seriously. Yep. I mean, this scooter, if you can just, if you can just take yourself back to 1984, it has a retractable headlight. Yes. No, I remember that. Oh, Devo yeah. was involved in this promotion too. It's a very, it was a very interesting, cool, I mean, look at that Lou Reed picture. You got the twin towers in the background. I know. (laughs) I mean, um, it's just crazy. Anyway, so don't settle for walking was their slogan. So I bought my first scooter right at this exact moment in time that Honda elite scooter came out. I was 15, mm-hmm. so unable to have a car. And even though I was in Alaska, we, growing up in Alaska, you, you, at least in my experience, did not understand, appreciate, or give any weight to the fact that there were uh, things about living in Alaska that made it a bad idea to own a convertible or a motorcycle. Or to walk around with no socks and boat shoes on. Right. All three things I did. My first car was a convertible. My first motor vehicle was a scooter. And I never wore socks. Um, And none of those things were, uh, none of them seemed illogical to me at the time. When I look back, I go, huh, interesting, weird, you know, but but that's where I that's where I was coming from. But I couldn't afford a Honda Elite because although they may have been cheap to somebody that had a job, um, 
they were like, they seemed pretty expensive to me. They were $2,500 or something. No. Big, yeah, big money. No, there wasn't. There was no way it was that much money. Well. It's like 400 bucks or something. No. Yeah, in no. 80s, 80s money it was. No. No, 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 no. I don't remember what the exact price was. I'm, I'm going to see if I can dig that up. All right. Because now I'm very curious to remember that. Not that I doubt you. I doubt me. But I'm finding them new. I'm trying to find the original. You can still buy these things. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, they made them for years. They made them for 20, 30 years. The thing about the Italian ones, though, is that they have a they have a global appreciation society because Vespas were um they were exported all over the world. They were one of the main motor vehicles of Vietnam and and uh China, Southeast mm-hmm. Asia. They were um they were made under license in India, who made millions of them. Um they're all over Europe. I mean, they were a they they were a cheap, practical, durable means of transportation for the whole globe for fifty years. Mm-hmm. Vespas, in particular, and so they're beloved. In a lot of places, they're thought of as just sturdy transportation. If you if you googled it, I'm sure you could find a picture of. Somebody riding a Vespa with like 14 other people on it <laughs> and and not even as a stunt, just like trying to get all their kids to school or whatever. But then they became, you know, fashion items and fashion items kind of related to rock music and to s- ska music and, you know, proto punk music. They were always, um, and it's and it's weird to the mods are a weird culture to try and get your head around in the early 60s they dress really sharp but they're blue collar and they and they're you know they're kids they they dress up their motorcycles i'm sorry they dress up their scooters with like lots of chrome and mirrors they fancy them up to the point that they look ridiculous to the point that they look like Koosh balls mm-hmm. of chrome. And they go around to punk rock shows and they get into fights with, um, you know, with greasers. Now, f- growing up in Alaska with no direct connection to any one of those scenes, it was very hard for me to understand where they were coming from. For instance, if you're going to, if you're a blue collar kid who likes to fight, why would you dress in like slick suits? Like basically like the same suits that John F. Kennedy and Sammy Davis Jr. were wearing. Right. If you're like listening to rock and roll and, and ska and stuff and you want to, um, but not rock and roll. I'm sorry. If you're listening to like mod music, whatever that is. Rhythm and blues, I guess, is what they would have said. Okay. Like, and you want to dress fancy, that's cool, but why the hell are you riding around on this, in this dumb little scooter? Like, shouldn't you guys get a car? Like, right. do what everybody else what, does. As I'm listening to you describe this, I'm wondering, are there, 
are there people who would actually choose to have a scooter over something else if they could have it? Because for me, and especially at age 15, I just wanted more mobility than I could get on my, my 10 speed. I wanted to be able to get somewhere faster than I could on my 10 speed. Uh, but I didn't want a scooter. I wanted a car. Sure. You're doing the logical thing, the same thing that I was doing, which is this is an entry level motor vehicle. Right. But there are absolutely people who would never get a car, would always ride a scooter. Interesting. There are some people listening to this program I know who are members of the uh, mod scooter culture. Okay. We'll probably hear from them. Yeah. Because. Because as you know, Dan, I'm a, I am a, I am adjacent to many, many, many cultures, but, but a member of none. Right. Um, I was, I was thrilled to discover this scooter culture and that I could be adjacent to it at, by virtue of owning a scooter, but I never was, I never was fully embraced by them, nor did I fully embrace them. I don't. I, I don't like ska music typically. I do like to dress sharp in suits. And honestly, I didn't mind getting in fights. But I don't like being part of a gang. I don't like, I like being part of a gang, a motorcycle gang, because there's nothing more fun than riding into an intersection in a group of 50 scooters. It's really a wonderful feeling. But I don't like fighting as a member of a gang. Like all those situations where I would get into, uh, it, there weren't many, but a handful of times that I ended up in a, in a brawl situation where there are people all around and everybody's fighting each other. I didn't like those. I preferred to be in fights where I was either the only antagonist or I had one or, or rather, you know, the only innocent victim, or I had one other person that I was fighting sort of back to back with against all comers but i've you know i've i used to fight a group of people but i but i preferred to do it to my, by myself not as part of a melee so the scooter as a as a fetish item and particularly in the united kingdom where it's cold and rainy for a lot of the year I couldn't put it together, and I think it's still confusing to people who are writing the history of the mods. Like, how did all this, how exactly did all these pieces fit together? You know, they're like, The Who was their, was like the mod band that the Vespa people, you can <laughs> you can learn all about this by watching the movie Quadrophenia. 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 It's a. It's like the Who's follow up to Tommy. It's a it's oh. ostensibly a musical. Now, I've um, heard of this term before, and I'm looking at the cover of it now. I remember it. I remember the multiple lights on the front of the handlebars with all the mirrors and the little mouth. That's right. But I ne- have never seen this thing. Of course, I've seen Tommy, but Sting they, is in it. Sting is in this. A very young Sting appears. I mean, he's not even that young, but. Young, younger than when he became Sting. Um, he plays Ace the Face, <laughs> the the prettiest of the mods. It's not the Who's greatest album, although my mom uh, thinks it is. She she that's that ranks very high 
uh, highly in her list of best who albums, Quadrophenia. But it's in, you know, and the movie is a little bit like, I don't know, not the greatest movie either. But but it's it's an interesting way to get inside the uh, the scooter culture a little at least. But in America, where there was not a clear division between mods and rockers, in America, we had an awful lot of rockers and really not that many mods. Mm. The distinction between ska and reggae and rock and roll meant something super different here in the UK. If you were, you could be into reggae and also not, and, and consider yourself an enemy of people that liked Elvis or whatever, <laughs> Cliff Richard, because UK culture and racial politics and music, it's, it, it, it you come up with a different combination than you do here. Here, if you like reggae, it's, you, that doesn't put you at odds with anybody except no, for certainly not except for all the people that are like, I hate reggae. And that's a dumb, that's a dumb stance to take. Cause reggae is amazing. Now, ska on the other hand, I yeah, can I see. Know. Weren't you tweeting that you didn't like ska or you didn't understand it? Well, there's nothing to understand, but, um, I, some of the first music that I really thought that really intrigued me when I was a teenager um, that I saw on MTV was uh, there was a band called the untouchables mm -hmm. and they were part of a mid eighties ska revival that was happening in the UK, but the untouchables were, they had a different, they put a slightly different spin on it. Um, and it was, and they made a, they made a cup. They had a couple of hit singles. Hang on. Let's see here. That I really liked. I really responded to uh, to their singles, and I think what the Untouchables did was they they were from America. They did they were they had like an L.A. spin on it. So all this all this the symbolism of a U.K. ska band like Madness was a ska band, and I loved Madness. I thought they were I thought they were awesome, um, and they were. I mean, no doubt in a way is pretty ska. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, you haven't, so you haven't mentioned Fishbone yet. I have not, no. There's a lot of wonderful pop music that comes out of ska, that comes out of a ska influence. Um, like pure ska as a culture, it just seems to me to be like a scooter. It's kind of intro level music culture you can get into ska music and ska music culture without being into any other music or any other music culture or interested mm -hmm. in it at all and if you stay there if you don't <clears throat> if you don't use it as a jumping off point if you stay in ska um it's it's a little bit of a dead end you should you should get, get into ska and then discover reggae through that or mm -hmm. discover punk rock through that, or you know, use it as a gateway drug. And right, then, I was just gonna say, it sounds like yeah. a, a gateway drug to other more serious stuff. Yeah, and then find other music. I mean, if you if you look at No Doubt, they used it as a way to 
get into the world and then they became a they became a pop band right the same way that the chili peppers came in with their weird hybrid of quote unquote funk Mm -hmm. (laughs) um you know like keep moving keep growing but the untouchables were were from la and they had an american thing but they were completely aping a uk style genre and style and i dug it i dug it I liked the whole, I liked the whole look. I liked the whole vibe. I, I, it was, it was many years later that I realized that there wasn't, um, there were, there, there were so many levels to what the mods were presenting, but there wasn't that next level of any of it having any meaning. You know, this, the, the mods had all these different com- complex influences, R and B and soul music, the the fashion the the kind of um blue collar antagonism but the thing is you know the the rockers their enemies or whatever were also blue collar you know there's no <clears throat> it's not like they were any one of these people were fighting rich kids but behind the behind the scene there's not there wasn't anything there wasn't any larger global mission mm-hmm. there you know, it, it like dangerously edged into racism on one side of it, but on the other side of it was like some of the first real multiculturalism, you know, I'm saying, I'm talking about as it, as it like overlaps with skinheads. Um, but it's not like it was a reliable, like it was a reliable political block. Mm-hmm. It's not like mods, presented a proposition to the world. I mean, the thing about heavy metal is at least heavy metal believed in dragons, (laughs) you know, heavy, heavy metal introduced this whole, like, like it basically expanded on the Hobbit verse. Sure. And they believed in Satan. They believed in, swords and but also they believed in like space monsters and you know like heavy metal was had a science fiction fantasy universe it had access to and pop music i mean you know like like whatever the sweet 70s yacht rock of fleetwood mac that music's about feelings. Yeah, it's about the, the, they aren't they're they're not wrapping themselves in a fantasy. They are trying to. I mean, all, all all rock bands are in costume, but you know they're trying to talk about their real human experience, and that was true. That was true all through all through like a, a, a most electric rock and folk folk. I mean, the music that's political, like. Fleetwood Mac is not political, right? And either is the human league. Duran mm-hmm. Duran's not political. There's no, they're not, there's no um, conflict except the personal conflict between the singer and, and the world. But the clash and the sex pistols 
super hyper political. Their music is almost uh, almost none of those songs are about how the singer feels about his emotions. It's all about directed at the outside world. This is fucked. That's fucked. I mean, it's it's sarcastic. It's critical. Ska just felt really like localized in the and mod culture. Just localized. It wasn't. It wasn't even political on a grand scale. It was just. It was like this is my pub and that's your pub and we're mm-hmm. angry at your pub because your <laughs> pub sucks. To that level of politics, right. you know. <clears throat> so although I loved it, I loved the style. I loved the scooters. I loved the. I did. I like. I even liked the sound of the music. I couldn't. There wasn't a way for me to engage because people weren't talking about anything. In the U.S., the umbrella of punk rock was so big it encompassed so many thousands and thousands of micro scenes uh, to the point that the that the term lost all meaning like what's what is punk rock basically it it stood in for everything that isn't fleetwood mac i mean it was easier in a, in the american rock music scene starting in the mid 80s it was easier to describe yourself it was easier to say what punk rock wasn't than to say what it was and you could, and to say what it wasn't you could just kind of say well i'm you know like new wave was not punk rock although in my hometown growing up it absolutely was if you were new wave who were your friends you were part of the punk rock scene you know it was the same for me in florida too yeah because i i was i liked i i got a i kind of scratched the surface of punk with the you know with the the dead kennedys but i knew people that were really really in, into it but for me i i really liked the new wave scene a bit better yeah but you're there much more of a waver dan yeah, but there wasn't a huge well i mean in in high school i definitely envisioned myself as being at least in the new wave space, if not in, I mean, I wore the army surplus combat boots and I wore black every day for probably five years. How about eyeliner? Did you ever put on eyeliner? No, I don't, I don't believe in, uh, applying makeup to myself. Interesting. Um, I mean, I imagine if I were going to make a television appearance, maybe I would need to because people can look, greasy even if they're not the television cameras seem to bring that out so i might if they had like a makeup person on set and they said oh you know dan dan we gotta you know put a little on your forehead here i would let them right but i always found it uh for me that broke some rules that i have set for myself as far as you know is that something i would do and i so i have not my girlfriend in my senior year of high school applied fake eyelashes to my one eye for my, uh, Alex costume from clockwork orange, but that's, that's, but no eyeliner or anything. Sure. That's pretty, that's pretty droogy. Yeah. Even those first couple of Metallica records, although they were metal, 
Mm -hmm. They were, I mean, that the early Metallica and Slayer, they were, they were so different from what was Rat. mainstream metal at the time mm -hmm. that they, that they almost felt like they were under the punk rock umbrella at mm -hmm. first. Mm -hmm. Um, and so scooter culture in the U S was in that, that big stew of basically everything. And, and if you lived in LA, maybe there were enough kids and enough people in these various scenes that you could be, you could say like, I'm the, you know, we're part of the scooter mod culture and we don't listen to that other dumb, you know, new wave or whatever. But in a place like Anchorage or anywhere else in America, frankly, if you were a new waver and a kid rode up to the punk rock show on a scooter, there wasn't a ton else. You didn't have that much choice in who was part of your scene. So scooters and mods and punkers and wavers all I mean, they were distinguishable from one another to themselves, but ultimately it was all one big, one big happy family because there just weren't that many. <clears throat> and I'm about to say there weren't that many of us, although I always, uh, rebelled at being a member of the alternative scene. So there weren't that many of them, although I was standing there with my arms crossed saying, I'm not here. I'm not, I'm not actually here. <laughs> right. Um, which has led to scooter culture producing people who in their forties and fifties refer to themselves as fat Bob. <laughs> right. Because scooters became kind of the greaser side of punkers in the same way that like Harleys are the greaser side of metal. Okay. And, um, you know, like sort of, uh, triumphs and, Honda CB seven fifties are the greaser side of a certain kind of guitar playing, um, like fast rock and roll people, speed, speed taken flat trackers. Mm -hmm. I know I'm speaking gibberish to you now, but I'm just try trying to get all of these micro cultures into little, uh, pill, pill bottles so I can, <laughs> I'm trying to, trying to do a, um, like a grill Marcus book, but the scooter dudes that I know now and have known for the last 25 years, almost none of them are part of a meticulously maintained chromed, like groomed scooter fashion. They are much more part of a, the bikes are dented and rusty. Um, 
They're painted with house paint. They're kept together. You know, they're held together with bailing wire. They're, they're, um, they're built for performance. If you can call it that, if you can call like the, a, a Vespa, like a performance vehicle, but you know, they're made to the, the, um, the badge of honor is, are you a daily driver? Hmm. Do you use your scooter only on weekends or do you, do you drive it to work every day? And the, the scooter culture people that I know are, are very invested in like, I ride my scooter. I'm not, it's not a thing that I bring out on sunny days in the summer. I ride it year round and I ride it all the time. That's where I'm coming from. And it's not, it's not a pretty scooter. It's not, it's not here to, I'm not, I'm not riding it really slowly on the, on the, on the main drag to be seen. Like every time the light turns green, I wrap it out and pull away from the light going, but you know, just spewing two cycle oil smoke into the air. And though, and that's my, that's my feeling about them. That's my take on them. When, when my scooters are running, which is not now, that's how I ride them. I ride them all year and they're dented and rusty. I never even, I, I mean, I painted one with house paint, but that was <laughs> 30 years ago. Uh-huh. So now the house paint's all like just as, just as fucked up and, 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 um, scratched and dented as the, as the original paint. But weirdly, although I have decades of time as a scooter owner, rider, mm-hmm. my adjacency, but not membership in that culture means that when I walk into those little shops where some kid is answers the phone. Hello. When I walk in there and I see the scooter up on the scooter stands and I see the guy with the wrench and the, and the, you know, the tattoo in front of his ear, uh, working on the scooter and he comes over and wipes his hands off on a rag and goes, can I help you? I always get talked to like, a, uh, civilian. I get talked to by them like a, like a snork. And I'm like, I don't anymore try to establish my bona fides, Mm -hmm. (laughs) my bona fides Uh by saying like, all right, well, before we go any further, let me just give you my, like, let me just give you my time. I'm going to read you my, my CV here right? about all the, the shit that's gone down between me and scooters so that you can stop, um, ro- rolling your eyes at me before we even have this conversation. Cause I just don't look or act like a scooter lifer. Right. Do you think they believe you? They don't care. Yeah. That's why I stopped doing it. Well, the oh. reason I stopped like re- like reading them my CV is that they don't give a fuck. You know, wh- this is one of the one of the amazing things about the world that's taken me decades to learn is that people don't care what um they they don't they don't want to know 
because they um, they're not interested. <laughs> you know, they're not um, they're not curious about anything outside of their thing that they're into. And so the fact that I am curious about the thing that they're into also doesn't matter to them. They don't. It doesn't. It doesn't appeal to them. They're mm-hmm. not like, wow, you're into you're into my thing. That's cool, because they're not into where I'm coming from. And so I I walk into every situation imagining that I'm going to say, I got into scooters back in the mid '80s, and they're going to go, wow, cool, me too. Or they're going to say, well, whoa, why didn't you, you know, why didn't you end up being like a like a scooter lifer mechanic like me or whatever. They're not going to have that conversation with me because that that's just not where they're coming from. And I kept trying to, I've of my whole freaking life. I've tried to win people over because I knew things about what they were doing. Oh, cool. Is that the, what, you know, you, you, you can always, you can picture the guy. It's like, it's like Michael Anthony hall leaning in over somebody's shoulder and going, Oh, is that the four barrel carb? And then every, <laughs> then you can hear a record scratch and everybody turns slowly and looks at him and he's like, okay, well then anyway, slowly backs away. I mean, that was, <laughs> it's always been me. So I got to get fat Bob going on this. Yeah. But if fat Bob doesn't see a financial incentive, which fat Bob clearly doesn't, Otherwise, he would reply. There's no other. I can't appeal to him as a friend. I can't say like, hey, one fellow scooter bro to another. Um, I, d- <clears throat> I don't have any leverage. And the number of people that can work on these old scooters, even though they're any, anybody that had a mechanical inclination that cared at all could learn how to rebuild a Vespa motor in an afternoon. Mm-hmm. But to be willing to do it as a job, to sit and say like, yeah, all right, I'll fix your Vespa. Um, it's a pretty small pool of people. It's not financially remunerative. Right. And you would have to think it would be kind of dwindling. It's incredibly dwindling. The yeah. only people that still remember how are are super lifers, right? The ones that not only are riding their Vespas every day to work, but are resistant to modern scooters who insist on working on these anachronistic old, I mean, the next generation of scooters is going to be entirely electric and we're never, you know, nobody's ever going to put gas in a scooter again. So the only people that will still work on these old ones are basically like people that are working on biplanes. You know, it, it's going to be a a real, it was always a niche thing. It's going to be a real niche thing. And honestly, I mean, the part of me that was like, should I keep this piano or not? There's something in my heart that says, should I keep these Vespas? Like, why not just cut loose of everything. Dan Benjamin claims that everything he cares about, he could fit into a, uh, a shoebox, a suitcase, but yeah, suitcase, suitcase, Dan Benjamin put everything in a suitcase and I'm lugging around two 
Vespas, neither one of them works right now. But I don't know how to cut ties with everything. And maybe that's what I need to learn to do. Maybe the Vespas are the are the secret. The Vespas are the final frontier for me. If I could get rid of them, I would be free of any further attachment. Because what is more attached to me than that 1980 gray P200E that was the first motor vehicle I ever bought? that I've kept in a state of partial, like it's, it's sort of run since 1984. Every year I, at certain point I've let it not run for long enough that I have to get it out and run it up and down the street 15 times until I can roll start it. And every time it starts back up, every time that freaking thing, it's got a, it's got a motor you're that looking, you're looking for an excuse to get rid of it. Cause the day it doesn't start, you're like, well, that was that right. Like in, in your mind, you're kind of looking for that. I can, I'm, am I wrong? Am I not sensing it correctly? I don't know. I don't know what I'm looking for. I guess I imagined that one day I would have the resources to have that old P200E restored. But the thing is, the the scooter itself has no value. It's not like a 1955 Lambretta. And even the, even the most expensive, nicely restored scooter in the world is only worth $7,000 or something. I mean, if mm. you paid more than $7,000 for a scooter, I'd think you were bananas for the nicest scooter I ever saw. This isn't, this isn't even that. This is just a, this is like a 1980 mass produced Vespa. So the only reason I would have it restored, because it could easily cost me $7,000 to restore, would be because of sentimental, it has sentimental value. It was my mm-hmm. first motor vehicle. It's been with me ever ever since. So I'm restoring a thing that once it was restored, and this is if I restored it, once it was restored, people would look at it and look right through it because it wouldn't because it's gray. It's not even like wow, cool orange scooter, or whatever. It's just like a. It just looks like I could go right now and buy the identical scooter except in good condition for less money than it would cost to get this one fixed, fixed up and repaired. Right. Oh, a lot less. So it's 100% sentimentality that the vehicle has no additional quality except that it has been mine. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, I do think scooters are a great way of getting around. I love getting on a scooter on a warm evening and putt-putt-putting around the, around the town. Get on Lake, the, you know, Lake Washington Boulevard and just kind of putt-putt-putt along as the sun goes down. It's one of my favorite things in the world. So 
<clears throat> here's a moment of where I have to look at it and say, it's only that I'm sentimental about these particular vehicles. Otherwise I could sell them, you know, and whatever the P 200, I'd probably get $500 for maybe the 125 Primavera. I could get a couple thousand bucks for it. Um, but I mean, it's not running. So whatever I would just, I basically just have to take whatever somebody offered me. I think there are people listening to this show who would probably want to take it off your hands right now. Well, yeah, but they, <clears throat> they live in Pennsylvania or in Ontario. So Maybe. then they're, they're in a posture where they're like, well, I'm going to have to spend a thousand dollars to have this thing shipped to me in Ontario. And then what am I going to have? I'm going to have a piece of junk scooter that I could get. I could probably find one better on my local Craigslist. So the only value that those would have to those people, uh, is that it, that it used to belong to me. And that isn't, it's arguable that having belonged to me gives it any additional value beyond just being a $500 junk scooter. I don't know. It has not occurred to me in a long time, Dan, that, that giving the scooters away would be some kind of path to living in the light for me. 